4: Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. The title of today's show is Canada Dry, and that show title was suggested by Uncle Steve in our Patreon Slack group. Welcome to our Canadian Grand Prix race review, a race that kind of fizzled after the safety car strategies were left on the table, but another interesting chapter in the F1 2023 season. So we'll ask, has the field Close the gap to Red Bull? Is the Aston Martin hype train back on the rails? And is Russell up to the task of being the future king of Mercedes? We'll also ask why can't Paris do Saturdays? And why is Hulkenberg destined to never get a podium? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by
3: Matt Do Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Well, since we didn't see a groundhog on track, I'm afraid to report that it's going to be six more weeks of Max winning that we're up for.
4: I thought you were going to say we'd have to watch the Canadian Grand Prix again until spring.
3: Well, that would have—that was my other option, but I, I went the other direction this time.
4: We're also joined by resident tech expert and TikTok sensation Antonio Rankin. How's it going, Antonio?
2: Hi, yeah, I hope we don't have to watch that race on repeat because it was a race of should've, would've and could've's.
4: Well, we'll explore that. And I'm delighted we're being joined again by Canadian, and it's not just a token Canadian, Christina Mace. How's it going, Christina?
1: It's going okay. I'm running on four hours of sleep and two energy drinks. So we'll see.
4: Ah, to be to be 20-something again. Right, let's get into the Canadian Grand Prix. Okay, I think actually, Matt, the most interesting thing, like we normally look for like a big ticket item, a big race, a clashing of titans throughout a Grand Prix. This race didn't deliver that. However, perhaps the biggest talking point is it did look a little bit like the field had closed the gap on on Red Bull. Is that real?
3: Uh, All those accountants back at the FIA are like, I told you so. I told you so. Eventually, that testing restriction would matter. Um, but to answer your actual question, sorry about that, to answer your actual question, it sure seemed like it, didn't it? Now, Montreal is not a quote-unquote representative track in the way that Barcelona is, so you, you, you got to add that in there. But Aston brought a fairly huge upgrade, and there was distinctly a moment where Alonso was on the radio, and, and he was being told to lift and coast. And he said, I'll do whatever. I want to win this thing. And and I believe that's not just an Alonso saying Alonso things. I think he genuinely thought at a certain point in the race that they had the pace to take it to the Red Bull. Unfortunately, I think uh, other other things intervened. But, yeah, it's sure looking close right now.
4: Rankin. Yeah, so I was going to say, yeah. Uh, well, Alonso was saying that he'd potentially be two seconds behind, and that's that's what they were aiming for.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... At the start of the race, it was quite refreshing to see that Lewis Hamilton only managed to drop out of DRS after four laps and not the normal half a lap that everyone else seems to be training behind Verstappen. I mean, the gaps did seem to have closed up a little bit and it was a really promising race in a lot of ways. I mean, it was great to see Mercedes fighting up there, obviously, with George, there was an unfortunate mistake, ruined his race. It happened. But yeah, with the Aston Martins as well, they brought a very big upgrade that did seem actually to have them in pretty good stead. I, I think there was a brief mention at the end of the race that Alonso was fighting a little bit of an issue. So given his performance for the race, he actually did a blimming fantastic job to stick it in P2. With that said, though, Lance was in a bit of no man's land for the rest of the race. And I have to say it was a bit of an underwhelming race result from him. I mean, he got a little bit stuck in that DRS train. So those Mm. upgrades obviously didn't put him pegs above everyone else because otherwise he would have been blitzing through it. But yeah, definitely some promise.
4: And and something else that was was underwhelming, Christina, I don't want you to feel attacked as (laughs) our token Canadian, but obviously every (laughs) single year people wheel out the 2011 race, With uh, eight red flags, uh, four billion pit stops, uh, Jensen Button sticking his teammate in the wall and and hitting everybody. Uh, The it's a great track, I love it, but you need to supply rain every year, I think, to make it like to buzz, don't you?
1: It's well, I mean, the predictability with which that track also gets rain is pretty stellar. Like it does make me question, kind of, why they continue to hold the race at this time of year because Montreal consistently gets. Rain during that time, so you know, yes, it's good for the spectacle of it all that they're hosting it during this time, but I also pity all of the Canadians that are just in the stands in their <laughs> rain ponchos are they not, and I could just feel the dampness well, they're not
4: used to it like soaking soaking through if, myself. if there's any nations where you go, they're going to be okay being rained on. If you had to pick any three nations to fill the stands, you go right, well, the Brits are happy being rained on, probably the Dutch because they live basically underwater, and the Canadians.
1: Yeah, Canadians and bad weather kind of go hand in hand. It is (laughs) typically not an issue, but you would prefer to be
2: dry and warm and comfortable. Yeah, I mean, in F1, obviously, rain is the great equaliser. So it really is nice, especially at a circuit like Montreal, where we get a little bit of that thrown in. And in quality yesterday, it really proved to be a decisive factor. Oh, man. Yeah. Verstappen showed his just masterful performance I think yesterday in quali he was fantastic and I mean there were some really really stellar examples Alexander Alban where he navigated the dry patches of the track to a tee. it was it was amazing Mate. to watch
4: I, I think it is worth actually just lingering on qualifying a little bit because it was such a mixed up uh, qualifying session in that Q2 Antonia Like Williams, so so Williams obviously obviously gets some of the credit for going, hang on, this might be dry conditions, but like you make a mistake, you go offline, you don't end up producing what Albon produced. And it wasn't just one lap, I think he like put in two or three like real good laps.
2: Yeah, the heat, I think as a team, generally, they made some very intelligent calls strategically in quali, You know, they put the right tyres on in the slicks window in the right time before the rain rejoined And, you know, quali effectively ended early, didn't it, with yeah. the rain picking yeah, up yeah. again?
4: Yeah, Q2 was like the most interesting bit of that, wasn't it?
2: well exactly but i i just i really do want to give credit where it's due to albon because his performance was just so skillful it was masterful oh, the great. way he navigated those conditions and it makes me almost sad that he is kind of peaking almost in his technical skills now as opposed to a few years ago in the red bull because i would love to see him in a higher performing car now especially now that he's doing almost these george russellian moves in in Williams where it's like okay cool he can make the step up now he can graduate
4: (laughs) George Rossellian I like that Matt hey Matt you've been a big long-term fan of uh, of Alex Albon so to see a performance like that where you go yeah driver skill is really going to be a differentiating factor here he's got arguably the worst car on the grid and then suddenly to pop up and just be lighting up that timesheet yes of course the tyre choice made a difference, but there would have been other drivers who'd made that same tyre choice and not made it stick. And that actually, that could have affected the whole qualifying because he showed you could do it, whereas, I don't know, some other drivers might have gone out there on 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 slicks and put it in the wall. Uh,
3: so it is interesting. A lot of times qualifying doesn't matter that much, but Albin's choice, or I would assume William's choice, to put him on slicks or the pair of them in, in Q2 changed everything about this race and not just for alban because he was so fast we have leclerc wanting to be on those tires and not and now we have proof that leclerc was right and once again ferrari was wrong in qualifying at least oh my god we have perez we have a lot of people bailing late to get onto these tires after the best conditions have passed and only the people who could get temperature into those tires which was not an easy task were able to actually take advantage of it. So we saw people like Alonso elect to stay on enters, smart move, I think, given his lap timings, and actually get through into Q3 easy. But other people, like Perez, went on to the slicks late, couldn't get them working, and then went on to the inners and didn't have enough time to get them back up to temperature and make it through. And that affected his entire race. So uh, this is a weird race. And again, also in the race where Williams made the dominant strategy call Every time, and drove almost all of the action that we're going to talk about.
2: Well, it just goes to show how important it is to be proactive in making these strategy calls and to be completely on the ball.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
2: the reactivity of some of these teams was shocking. I mean, yeah. you know, for you know, Ferrari really dropped oh, the she ball. She said in it. Poorly. She said the F word. Jeez. I'm so sorry. Oh, I know this man. is a family. This was show. the. That
4: was the saddest. We, we
2: did well, but it, yeah, it was hard to watch. And I mean, at times it. it I honestly and I say this hand on heart think if you put me in that Ferrari pit box I could do a better job.
4: I honestly for the last few years I think a lot of people think that and the the, the most crushing thing I've ever heard was Leclerc going we hi I'm a talented and fantastic race driver and I'm here on track in my race car and I've been doing this for ages. I'm I'm pretty good at it please can I have some slick tires because I think that's the best tire for this condition. And then his engineer go, yeah, but like all the cool kids are still on intermediate. So that's what he said. He said, Max is on Inters, therefore you stay on Inters too. That's heartbreaking. Like The, the drivers are telling Ferrari what to do and time after time, they're just, they're just inventing. That's what they're doing, Antonio. They're inventing. I saw it in
2: the race today. Signs talking to his pit wall engineer, going, "I can stay out. Let me stay out." And then the pit wall engineer going, "Okay, stay out, stay out, stay out." Like. (laughs) We know that's not you telling Signs what yeah. to do. That was Signs forcing your hand, going, "I know better here." And I've been saying this for months and for months and for months the, there is such a breakdown in communication between the Ferrari pit book wall and their drivers. Because first of all, the drivers aren't getting the information that they need. Signs in quali, for example, why was he not told that there were faster cars approaching? Oh that my is god! such yes. a basic principle yeah. of quali you get told when there is a faster car approaching so that you don't impede them. That's one of your main jobs as a pit wall engineer. Again, some, something that I watched it and I went, well, I could have told him that someone was coming. <laughs> I could Especially, watch his GPS, you know, pay me some like, money. Come on, you know, and oh. there is such a breakdown between what the pit wall are telling the drivers, but not just that, what they're listening to from the drivers. It's like they don't trust the drivers to make the right call whatsoever. And these drivers are Blimmin' fantastic. I said at the start of the 2022 (laughs) season, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz were the best driver lineup on the grid. And look where they are now. Not a championship between them.
4: That's a right old rant, that. That is a right old rant. Trumpet. (laughs) I apologise. Trumpet. (laughs) Tell tell her why she's
3: wrong. Defend. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay, here's why you were wrong. (sighs) First of all, it was very clear that the (laughs) engineer heard what Charles Leclerc had to say about those tyres and just ignored him. yeah. Second of all, I would wager there was a nine-hour meeting with all of the engineers, top management, uh, Elcan, Vinya, and all those people pointing out how Leclerc was right. So when it was Carlos' turn to say, I want to stay out, whoever was in charge of making that choice, they like to call them decision makers apparently these days, was like, oh, yeah, that guy got dragged for ignoring Charles. I think I'll listen to what Carlos has to say. But you are right. I think the symptom, I think it's a symptom, though. I think the issue is with the decision-making process and with the culture of the team. No one is, they're told this is a strategy and whoever's in charge of that strategy will not wander outside of that box unless they hear from 19 different people signed off in triplicate. And that's <laughs> what we've seen over and over.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Christina?
1: Well, as much as I am always discouraged by Ferrari these days, I'm also mildly encouraged because they have a new team principal. And we're we're nearing that halfway mark and of through right. a year. And so I am hoping that we're going to start seeing change soon.
4: The Vassur effect getting, exactly. getting infused in, eh?
1: I mean, you would hope that it would have some change. You would hope that hiring mm. a new person, because they recognized at the end of last year, we have a problem and we need to attack it. And they've chosen that to be the new team principal. So... Fingers crossed that now that he's been there for six months, maybe we'll start seeing changes after summer break. Maybe we have to wait for a full year. I'm hoping it doesn't take that long, but I'm hope I'm I'm being stupid probably, but I am hoping that we're near <laughs> no, no, the no, no, end of not not stupid. This horrendous. <laughs>
4: I I think mean. So I'm going to say how how dare uh-huh. you, Christina? How dare you give Ferrari? fans hope they are out <laughs> there and they have worked hard to, to, to remove all vessel of hope out of their body and there you are sprinkling some new hope uh, uh, in live
2: for the hope of it all antonio see this is the thing i don't think that bignotto was the issue with ferrari i think ferrari was the issue with the with ferrari yes, they are their own worst enemy i think there are issues in every layer of Ferrari's team <laughs> wherein the breakdowns in communication are at every single stage because I I wish it were a quick fix but I guess after 6 months surely it doesn't take 6 months for people to start learning from their mistakes I mean it's been it's, it's been so it's long it's been 84 years you know it it it, <laughs> it has been centuries you know and how does it take this long for a team to go oh actually we should listen to our drivers who are amongst the most talented individuals at this in the world you know we've got a new team principal at aston martin and he's absolutely killing it they're doing great so i I just i don't think it's that simple i wish it were okay mm-hmm. and Look, like yeah go on um overall though i do
1: agree that benito probably wasn't the problem but I do think replacing him could potentially be the solution because he very obviously just kept denying and denying that there was a problem. And he Vassar did, yes. at the very least yes. is saying we recognize there are things we can do better. Mm. And that's I think that's where I'm getting the most hope is that he's actually acknowledging stop, and Christina, saying stop it. we're gonna make change.
4: Stop it. Stop it. They've they've been through they've been through enough. But look, 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 this has been a very difficult <laughs> topic. And if you've been affected with any of the issues that we've led with here today, you know, you can email us feedback at MissedApex.net. And if you see a Ferrari fan, just, just out and about, you know, see someone in a Ferrari shirt or a Ferrari hat, just just offer them a hug. That's what I would say. Offer them a hug, hold them close and say, look, we're all F1 fans. It's it's going to be okay. I don't think it's going to be okay, but don't tell them that. Right, let's move on to something more, more positive, Matt. And that is uh, Aston Martin... Who who were being very bullish in the in the form of Fernando Alonso saying right we're going to be two seconds behind Red Bull we're going to really be pushing them the Canadian upgrades are going to be really great now I I wonder whether there there was like a really really positive step up with an upgrade or whether they just thought kind of the upgrades that they've been bringing or the package they have was going to suit Canada because they were they were so confident about how their performance was going to be in the Canadian Grand Prix. And it it kind of did come to fruition. We were back to where we would expect them to have been given their previous season performance. So upgrades, track specific, where are we at?
3: Uh, No, I don't think they're track specific. I think Aston will have circuits where it does better because of the inherent characteristics of the car. It has an extremely good amount of downforce. It is not as efficient as a Red Bull car. But the place that they have always dominated and red bull mercedes any team on the grid the place they've dominated since they showed up with their car has been in the braking zones they are better on braking than any other team right now on the on the grid and you can see it into turn one you can see it into the hairpin. so any race that features these kinds of really big braking zones you can look for aston to be making some hay okay that that's said, good they're yeah, talking yeah. like a team who's very confident in their correlation between their CFD. Yeah, and they knew. Wind they knew. Yeah, and what they see and think about it too. This is like FP1 was gone because of the TV issue. We might talk about that later. FP2 was uh, wet, mass qualifying. FP3 equal disaster, not at all representative track conditions. And with a brand new huge upgrade, they walked into the race on Sunday and came a lot closer to winning it than probably most people thought they could have. Yeah, I there. mean,
2: going back to what you said about braking, you would think on a circuit like like in Canada, where braking is very intense, they would absolutely dominate. However, they weren't necessarily right on top. I mean, it took until lap 22 for Alonso to take Hamilton, so it wasn't quite as emphatic as I think you would have expected it to be.
4: Yeah, so if you want to kind of ruin it, Matt, for... for... <laughs> If you want to ruin it for Aston Martin fans and Alonso fans, there's a few factors. So, um, okay, so it's a track that isn't testing, for example, Mercedes' uh, new downforce high speed corner uh, upgrades. So so Mercedes was sort of nerfed in that way. And they knew, Mercedes knew in advance and they said in advance, it's not going to suit us, the track layout and the track surface. So if I wanted to ruin it for Alonso fans, you could say, perhaps this is a temporary reprieve.
3: Oh well, yeah. I mean, it, the nature of the circuit will benefit some cars more than others, and this is definitely one that played to the strengths that Aston absolutely had.
4: Okay, so look, let's look at the dynamic between the two drivers, Christina. Uh, Lawrence <laughs> Stroll said by the end of the season, Lance Stroll, your and and now listen, your government will be listening to this. Your 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 compatriot, Lance Stroll, will be level. Yeah. With Fernando Alonso by the end of the season. That's what the team boss says. True or false?
1: Well, that's false.
4: <gasps> You're going to get like... kicked out of Canada.
1: <laughs> it's all good. I'm going to be heading out on my own anyway soon. But look, I think it's just very, oh, what's the word? It's to my tongue, but very yeah. presumptuous to say that this driver who has been consistently in the midfield for his entire career could come close to being... On par with a two-time world champion who, under the right circumstances, could have won many other championships in the last couple of years. Like he is sure. a world championship caliber driver. So to say that Lance could come close to that performance of Alonso, that Lance could learn from Alonso, I think would be much, yeah,
4: but he didn't more say appropriate, that. He didn't say and that. encouraging. He said, he said, I know he, he didn't, didn't say that. He said he's going to be it level was, it, with the two-time world champion and F1 great Alonso.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those statements that pretty much everybody can see right through and just be like, you know what? Yeah, we get it, Dad. It's your kid, <laughs> but
4: uh, you An- know, I know it's bad. Antonia, can Christina come and live with you when she gets kicked out of Canada?
2: <laughs> you are more than welcome anytime, as long as you put some respect on Lance's name. <gasps> I think I think the daddy's boy of F one <laughs> could do a bit better than we're all giving him credit. Mm-hmm. I. I completely agree. Level with Alonso is a huge stretch. However, they are in the same machinery. In theory, they, sh- they- well, not in theory, there should mm. not be the gap that there is. Mm-hmm. Alonso pushing for constant podiums and Lance struggling to tread water down in the midfield is completely unacceptable. That's as, 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 as simple as it gets. These drivers are the yeah. 20 best drivers in the world. They need to be competitive. If Alonso is the best in the game, yeah, fair enough. Lance is also meant to be amongst the best in the game. And if he's not keeping up with his teammate, who is the most comparable driver to himself in terms of performance this season, then they really, really seriously need to have a look at him. Because I think it's, it's been a while now, to be completely honest, that he hasn't lived up to the standard that he should be living up to. So whilst I think, yes, he's a great driver and he could, yeah, have the potential to be up there fighting for podiums, there has to be a barrier as to why he isn't because at the moment i 've been quite underwhelmed with how he 's performing
4: uh, and Matt bearing in mind that in the apocalypse Canada is going to be one of your your closest safe zones He uh, interjects carefully
3: uh, i, I don 't know it's been on fire recently, mm. so i 'm not as convinced of that as a good, uh, as good I point.
4: I would swim, swim for greenland
3: uh, i think that's I think that's where we 're all headed um i 'm going to make a counter argument here aside from Qualifying, which I honestly just can't remember why Lance wound up where he did or even where he wound up, um he had a really good race today, really? He had a pretty spectacular race today. in fact, now imagine this: I'm a driver, and my team pits me the lap before the safety car comes out. That would be Lance, and then oh, okay. they they see something in the data and they pit me like five laps before everybody else. And I go from basically like the back, P15 or whatever, and I wind up in ninth place because I passed the guy in 10th on the line on the last lap. Lance was for quite some time the fastest guy on the track after his second pit stop for the new fresh hard tires. And pretty much all the midfield wound up going for that two-stop strategy as a result, but But it was an optical illusion. They did it to get him out of traffic and let him run in free air because traffic, the T word, which I think we're going to talk about later with Antonia, is definitely a thing that affected the race today.
2: I see your very well-reasoned <laughs> and understandable points, and I raise you... Hyperbole. But what about uh-oh, every uh-oh. single other race? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, there is that. And there's definitely a broader conversation uh, to be had there. But actually, Antonio, I wanted to go uh, to you next, because Bruce, in the Patreon live chat, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, support an independent podcast, uh, was talking about this being a point and square circuit. So I think I was trying to allude to it when I say, well... Okay, uh, this isn't the sort of track that the Mercedes upgrades would be aimed at, and it looks like the battle for second place because Ferrari are just desperate to take themselves out of it. The battle for second place really is between Hamilton and Alonso at the moment. So, uh, give me some insight, a little bit into you know how the different cars will will, will suit you know different circuits. What's well, perhaps you and Matt as well. Like, what's the main characteristics of each car that we can look at in the races coming up?
2: Well. Like like Matt was saying, a circuit like this in Canada should, be, in theory, be very well suited to the Aston Martins. So Pirelli actually rate, ca- rated Canada as a five out of five in braking intensity,
4: Ooh, okay. which is
2: why we saw so many braking issues in so many of the cars, uh, a.k.a. George Russell at Mercedes. It really did not suit their car this weekend. Yeah. George's brakes overheated, probably also due to being in the DRS train, actually not being in clean air really would have caused those brakes to overheat even more so than they were already struggling from just how intense the circuit is. But I mean, in terms of, you know, straight line speed, this, this circuit in Canada has a lot of long DRS zones broken up, for example, by the final chicane at the end where the Wall of Champions, I have to say, I was very, very upset not yeah. to see the Wall of Champions be, be kissed today. Even mm-hmm. it wasn't even given a little peck. Very disappointing. I'm not I wasn't alluding to anything there. I'm just saying we haven't seen Alonso in there. We haven't seen Lewis or Verstappen. It would have been nice. But I mean, yeah, that the thing about Canada, like you said earlier, it's got a lot of defining characteristics that make it not a quote unquote usual circuit. But Aston Martin did have the upper hand today in terms of the characteristics of their of the circuit. And they should have. That's why I'm saying they should have done better than they did.
4: So I think we're gonna we're gonna move on briefly, but I think that the natural stage, Matt, I think is we we talk about the battle. I I think the major battle was between Alonso and Hamilton today. So we can kind of we can straddle that, but I, I know I know you think, and I disagree with you that that Alonso had a chance to pressure for for the win today. But I I honestly think the battle was between. Alonso and Hamilton. So, you know, let's get let's get into that. But firstly, why do you think that Alonso had a chance at a win today?
3: Okay. Well, let's go with the assumption the Aston was properly fueled and or didn't have a problem with the fuel pump so that we didn't have to lift and coast. Didn't cost him a lot of time. But it definitely costs you in your braking well, well, because I, it breaks yeah, fuel yeah, cool yeah, yeah. more than yeah, than yeah, you'd yeah. like them to. And braking is clearly a big advantage for the Aston. So right off the bat, you've got one.
4: Sure. But to be fair, if if they did underfuel hoping for a safety car, and that's a good bet at Canada that there will be safety cars, and there was, that is still part of your overall strategy. So if there's less safety cars than you want or no safety cars, and you end up having to lift and coast because you underfueled, we can still factor that in when you talk about inherent performance
3: second of all um because because it, it might have been a fuel pump problem it might not have been an underfuel. i think there was a period of time where the team wasn't sure what was going on and they were being conservative to make sure there was a fuel sample for the fia post-race because they've had some previous experience in that department if i remember correctly <laughs> second of all we can blame hulkenberg yes how dare because he? because he got that ridiculous penalty that kicked him out of second place. And second place was the dirty side of the grid on a track that got hugely rained on and was covered in dust. If Alonso had been starting in third, where Hamilton started, we'd have had Alonso chasing Max from the start. And I think we would have seen a different character to those first 22 or so laps.
2: Yeah, just to touch on that briefly, I would have thought that that Hulkenberg getting that penalty would have been a godsend for Mercedes, right? Because that, in theory, should have prevented them from being stuck behind a really pesky DRS (laughs) train type dynamic in the first few laps. So you would have thought, oh, fantastic, Mercedes, second row lockout, off they go into the sunset towards Max Verstappen. And they didn't. So I think that penalty, in so many ways, was very underwhelming. Of course, also for Holkenberg. I'm sure he didn't like it very much either. Yeah,
4: but Holkenberg's Hulken, <laughs> made his deal. He made his deal with the devil. He will be a fantastically handsome and rich F1 driver for, for years to come. And I think he'll still be racing at 50. But he is okay, doomed. We've had
2: enough of your crush he on Hulkenberg. He's doomed to
4: never, ever get a podium. Have you seen that man's jaw? <laughs> my goodness. My goodness. He's like a Viking god. I will, I will not back down from this, Miss Rankin. I will not back down. Uh, but Matt, Matt, I, I honestly do disagree with you that there was any serious prospect of of Alonso uh, challenging. I, I really feel like they should have been looking, you know, backwards in in their mirrors. Initially losing out to Hamilton just meant that his battle with Hamilton was harder today.
3: Well, yeah, because it's not an easy place to pass, and because Aston isn't as fast in a straight line as say a Williams. But I just put you the would have could have should it to you. <laughs> Had Alonso persisted after max and on the hard tire where verstappen admitted on the radio twice and in the cool down room afterwards as well that they were struggling to get those tires up to temperature the higher downforce the higher downforce aston would have had a serious advantage on that hard tire against the red bull yeah. and he would have gone into that third stent a lot closer to max now the mm-hmm. other thing i want to point out to you and this is this is why did you notice how max sounded kind of anxious about this until we started hearing all the lift and coast messages and then we also got additional confirmation alonzo had a rear brake problem that's when he was being relaxed and laughing about almost crashing himself out of the Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah. Up until then, he was telling the team, look, these tires are no good. And the team was like, um, yeah, dude, we heard you the first time. You're just going to need to drive this car for a while. Okey dokes.
4: Yeah, not the only race engineer that had some harsh words for their for their drivers this weekend. But yeah, Antonia, the, the Aston Martin looked really good on the hards. Like they specifically, it's so weird, like any low grip condition that Aston Martin seemed to come to life. So as soon as the rain came on Saturday, they looked great. Well, as soon as it dried out, the advantage went away. Uh, when when the teams were forced onto the higher tire early by the safety car, suddenly Aston Martin came to life again.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, Pirelli have spoken about Canada, saying that it's typically a, a low asphalt abrasiveness, a low, you know, in terms of intensiveness on the tires. It's it's not too difficult, Canada. That's why we were on the softest side of the tire spectrum. But I mean. <sighs> Just going back to the original point, I think if Aston Martin were anywhere near Red Bull, <sighs> Fernando Alonso took Hamilton lap 22 in a 70-lap race. He had 48 laps to catch, even catch up to Max Verstappen. And he didn't. He wasn't really even that close. The only time he closed up the gap was when Verstappen was just chilling out front, you know, having his, you know, every Sunday Chill drive in the park that he seems to be doing quite regularly now. It it just I know there were issues and I know the car wasn't perfect, but uh, just it wasn't close enough in my opinion.
4: But Alonso would have gone to the front quicker were it not for Lewis Hamilton cutting him off and doing an unsafe rejoin in the in the pit lane. So at, at the safety car uh, pits, they all came in for hards. Lewis Hamilton had a slightly slower stop got ahead, made Fernando Alonso pump the brakes, dramatically wiggle on the steering wheel, but Christina, should that have been a penalty for Lewis Hamilton?
1: Mm, I don't think so. At the end of the day, at the end of the day when they're all going into the pits during that time frame, they know that they have to keep it really tight. They know that they have to be keeping an eye out, and at the end of the day Fernando did that. He kept an eye on things. Mm. He saw that someone was releasing and he reacted accordingly. Like everything went the way it was supposed to go. I don't think it was an unsafe release. I think it was, these are drivers that have really quick reaction times. And if we release a car at this time, the other driver is going to notice and see and it'll be fine.
4: I I highly recommend after our chat with Jules and Lucas at at the weekend, uh, talking about like, you know, people who just love to play up to the cameras. You know, (laughs) there's always that situation in football where, You know, someone takes a shot from 25 yards. The power of the shot is fully dissipated by the time it gets to the keeper. But he does like a big rolling dive and you just know, you know, that is for the cameras. Uh, uh, Nigel Mansell pushing his Lotus, collapsing, woe is me, for the cameras. Antonia, come on. Uh, Alonso on the steering wheel panicking oh my goodness I nearly died the Mercedes in front of me oh woe is me we only just avoided catastrophe
2: yeah so the reason I don't watch football is because if I wanted to watch actors I'd watch a film (laughs) and I'm starting to see a little bit of that coming into the F1 radio messages and to, to use some of my psychology knowledge here you will notice as you watch it there are certain buzzwords thrown around on the radio by pitwall engineers you know so when when the unsafe quote-unquote release happened Alonso's engineer came on and went yeah that was dangerous and or Alonso will go that was really unsafe almost as if they're trying to plant the idea in the (laughs) steward's brains like you hear that that was unsafe they released him in an unsafe you know and it's like, come on, come on. Uh, we are we are watching what is happening, and uh, exactly as Christina said, these are the drivers with the fastest reaction times, probably of anyone on the planet. They can see when a car is heading towards them. There was no collision. There was no even almost collision. He didn't need to grab on the wheel and go, oh my gosh, <laughs> ah. you, you know, it, it, it felt a little bit theatrical playing up to the knowledge that the stewards are listening in. And I've, I think we've started to notice that a little bit more and more. Whenever something happens that a driver doesn't like, they come on the radio to their pit wall engineers, appearing surreptitious, going, oh my goodness, what, no, did, did you see that?
4: But you don't, you don't mean Fernando. Fernando wouldn't do that.
2: Never,
3: never. Of course, of course. That car, that car ahead of me could explode into flames and throw <laughs> pieces of my car oh, everywhere and Norris. kill me. Yeah, you Norris. should black That's and orange flag it immediately. Exactly I mean. The last lap before the race Okay, oh, so, so
4: that was Lando Norris with Ocon's uh, rear wing rear that wing. was kind <laughs> of moving. It was wobbling a little bit. He's like, yeah, that is going to literally take my head off. You need to definitely <laughs> disqualify him. Oh, by the way, honourable <laughs> mention for, for Lando Norris because that the last lap attempt really oh, held it on the outside uh, until the last possible moment and then went for the, the escape road. But yeah, uh, four out of ten. for He has to get a meatball flag. I think that, that car was basically doing that throughout the whole weekend. And I think if, if that was going to get pulled up, it was going to get pulled up before that. Uh, Antonia, quickly, and then I know that Christina has some, some regulations for us uh, for, for the unsafe rejoin. So I want to get into those as well.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, Ted Kravitz noted it literally at the start of the Grand Prix, said, oh, that Alpine rear wing's looking a little bit wobbly. And Lando would have been following him for a good few laps before saying anything. It was very much a, he literally said, again, buzzword, he went, that could be so dangerous if that flies up. Like, oh my God, that ridiculous. would be like, that
4: would be like meatballs flying all over my <laughs> face. Meatballs. Oh my God. Uh, but Christina, uh, in our, our WhatsApp mm-hmm. chat, when when Hamilton came out, uh, in front of Alonso, a lot of people said slam dunk penalty. Martin Brundle on the commentary said slam dunk penalty. And and uh, I, th- I think people also were saying, well, if you cause a driver to break, then that's a penalty. Now, if you on your driving test pull out of a junction, uh, out of a T junction, say so you turn right and you cause a driver that was on the major road to slow down and break, you you will get marks on your driving test. But is that the rule in the F1 pit lane? It's not. Ah.
1: The the only regulation that you have is that cars must not be released from a garage or pit stop position in a way that could endanger pit lane personnel or another driver. That's which incredibly subjective. Yeah. Some people are sensitive and are like, oh, my goodness, my life flashed before my <laughs> eyes, which
4: <laughs> I nearly died.
1: Exactly. It's yeah. like, there are many things that you can nearly die at, sweetie. That doesn't mean that you actually nearly died. Like, I've met five-year-olds that have just as good the- theatrics as some of these F1 drivers. It's fantastic. But like mm. many penalties, so much of it is just down to the stewards. The regulations are ladled with the stewards may impose a penalty. They do not mm. have to, but they may. And again, this is one of those situations where it's not, ne- nothing is ever penalty-wise necessarily a slam dunk. Because it's all down to somebody's personal judgment, and again, with these regulations being so ambiguous, open ended, some of them do have good history and good precedent, yeah, and others don't. So it's it's one of those penalties where, in my mind, they're kind of they're they're quite
4: random, aren't they, Antonia?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean after. Oh, gosh, the 2021 race. No. Yes, a lot of faith was lost in the objectivity of stewards. However, because (laughs) these regulations are subjective, we do have to think, okay, the stewards know what they're doing. If a penalty is necessary in this circumstance, they will enforce it. And in a similar but slightly different circumstance, they will not. You know, whilst there are subjectivities within the regulations, it is incumbent upon us to remember That is for good reason. And the penalty will be enforced on a situation dependent basis. It will change every time according to each individual offence or non-offence. So, yeah, there are some subjectivities within the regulations, but that isn't a bad thing. That doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, you know. Not every single behavior has to either be yeah. right or wrong in in racing. So, That's not how it works. I, I
4: think in this particular circumstance. So obviously, if there's if there's a car flying, you know, down the pit lane at uh, the pit lane speeds, and you just, you know, you 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 just happen to pull out in the pit lane, and, and, and you know, and you you block them. Yeah, unsafe release. I get that. But in a situation where you're coming in liner stern, the people releasing Hamilton can't possibly know that he was zero point eight. Uh, seconds slower to change the tires and by the way that is that has been quite crucial over the last couple of seasons mercedes pit stops have been generally just that little bit slower the good a lot of good mercedes pit stops are much closer to three seconds than two seconds and and here we saw a situation where it was actually quite critical but there's no way the person releasing them can know that Alonso did it in 2.2 seconds, and Mercedes did it in three seconds. It's really hard to make that difference. So in this situation, yeah, okay, Alonso was inconvenienced, but it's not its not unsafe. Uh, Matt?
3: Yeah, well, I want to say a lot of these could be dealt with by realizing that if you added, if the other car didn't have brakes, it was <laughs> yes, an unsafe been, release.
4: Okay. okay, guys, I think we're, we're going to move on to, uh, actually, I think one of the biggest fails of of this race and that is George Russell really I think dropping the ball in a situation where he had a chance to press forward and to to stake his claim really into where he fits into the overall picture of Formula One so he was in arguably the second or third best race car this weekend he was up there fighting he's got Max Verstappen up ahead He's got Lewis Hamilton in second place, he's got Fernando Alonso in third place. His team is sandwiching Aston Martin, their direct rivals, and he puts it in the wall. To me, Matt, this feels like a, a big a big fail. Like this is a big, big setback in Project Russell.
3: I think we could call it the sophomore struggles. He's established himself at the team. He's done well enough against his teammate, and now now the hard yards begin and this happens i i've used this analogy before but a lot of times in music when you play a show the first time you're in you're so on top of it second time you're in you're on top of it the fourth or fifth time you don't quite know the book but you're also not really paying the same amount of attention and that's where the mistakes I'm happen and i sure. think that's what we're seeing at russell he's gotten comfortable But he doesn't have the mastery of Hamilton yet. So we're seeing these mistakes, silly mistakes, mistakes that you wouldn't expect him to make. It's part of the process. But the question is, how much will that affect him and his standing in the team until he gets past it?
4: Uh, Christina, you're relatively new to the missed apex realm. So what I I like is I I like people to to tell me who they support as drivers so that we can put... Their comments into to context. Now, I'm I'm famously neutral, but I do understand that some people have. Fa- stop! 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 Uh, some people have <laughs> favorite drivers. Christina, like just from a fandom point of view, where where do you lie? And, and particularly relating to like Lewis Hamilton.
1: Oh, the big ones this season that yeah. I'm like hardcore one to see results from are Pierre Gasly, nice Yuki Sonoda. yes, and um, oh, there was a third one I was excited about. Oscar Piastri.
4: Let's oh, say. sorry about that. Yeah, okay. So but how about George Russell? Does, does George Russell tickle your fan tingle at all? Not yet. No.
1: I feel like he is still, I think one day he's going to sparkle. One day he's going to get that shimmer in his eye and just be like on his way to being top at the top, best of the best. But Do you? I think no. right now he's kind of just waiting. Like he's still very much, I feel like, in a learning curve situation where he's not Fine tuning his mm. own driving because he knows that these are his personal faults. I feel like he's kind of just still getting comfortable in Mercedes almost, and not having that ability to be extremely self critical and extremely.
4: I think you've you've hit the nail fine-tuned. on the head there. Yeah, and and this is the thing: like you don't sense at all that he's self critical. You you sense that in his world, he's pushing himself as the complete package, pushing to to the top, and 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 I wonder. I will go to Matt for this. Actually, I, I wonder if that's the source of today's error. Which is like he he was he was off off the pace. He was dropping back from Alonso. He's already asking for what alternative strategies might might work, and they said no, no, no. Just go go faster, mate. He tried to go faster and hit the wall, and that does smack of just someone just out of their someone driving out of their comfort zone today. He was told to. He was told to drive out of his comfort zone. He did. And he hit the wall, which is why I can't be overly critical.
3: Well, except for, you know, more experienced hands will just simply go as fast yeah, as they yeah, can no, without no, this pace,
4: Yeah,
3: They're not going to get baited into that, which is I think that was a Schumacher claim at Haas, too, which I think was actually quite valid. Um, but for Russell, no, he didn't have the pace today. He was desperate, I believe, desperate to be up or around Hamilton or to find a way around him and when told it was just it was a it was a mistake that we saw max make and not crash and the difference once again i think is mainly one of experience he just was slightly out of his depth this particular weekend and um he's going to get less forgiveness the longer he's at the team
2: yeah i completely agree the longer he's there the less he's going to be allowed to bide his time and wait for his time to come there comes a point where you are no longer in the fastest car on the grid. You know, George Russell moved to Mercedes and was expecting an almost immediate world championship, I think. And, and you get the impression that whilst he is irrefutably, in my opinion, one of the best drivers on the grid and phenomenally talented, a small mistake. I don't agree. Don't you dare shake your head.
4: At I, well, okay, let, let's have a fight. Let's, oh, okay. let's have Square a fight. Up. Let's it. go. Okay. Square, okay, here we go. Here we go. Russell, over the last two seasons, has showed that he doesn't have the ultimate pace of the top drivers and he cannot compete on race pace with a slightly beyond his peak Lewis Hamilton. He is not the future of Mercedes.
2: I see that and I raise you. Is he meant to be directly in line with a seven-time world champion? I thought that
4: was the whole point.
2: He is a phenomenal driver, George Russell. But again, I think there's an element of um, unrealized talent in the fact that he's kind of waiting for the car to grow around him rather mm. than him growing into the car. See, he's kind of it. waiting for, for Mercedes to get back into their heyday, I think, and get back into their phenomenal, excellent performance. And then he'll start showing all of his potential okay. once okay. the car is more behind Okay,
4: him. so whilst you're fundamentally wrong, I think you've rescued it slightly in oh, that I? if you. Lewis Hamilton retires and Mercedes completely rally around George Russell and build the team around him, which I believe every F1 team should build around a number one driver, then yes, maybe Russell could do that. But at the moment, he's got a massive problem, which is that every year that Lewis Hamilton stays in the sport and he can't match him on race pace, all he can do is what he's been doing, which is go for the alternate strategies. And, and it's made him look good on occasion, but it's a paper tiger.
2: Yeah, it's it's the alternate strategies have got him lucky occasionally, isn't it? You know, it, when whenever Hamilton fails, he does well. Whenever the the opponents don't do well, George does. There have been a lot of cases where he's kind of grown out of the misfortune of others, which yeah. again is is unfortunate because I do think he has so much potential, Russell. But I think a lot of that isn't realised yet, unfortunately, because we saw it at. At Williams, he was so used to fighting against the car. I think in Mercedes, he kind of got the false impression that he wouldn't have to fight against a car anymore, which of course has turned out (laughs) not to be true.
4: How has that worked out? Yeah, it's just Matt. I don't know, Matt. It's this. He came out and he said that a lot of drivers out there don't have spatial awareness, and which would have been way more. Profound, had he not just hit his own teammate in qualifying the weekend before, and yeah. rejoined unsafely in Monaco. Uh, but he's yeah, I just I don't know. It feels like he's just biting off more than he can chew, and maybe he should be just saying, okay, I'm going to be Hamilton's out and out number two here. I'm going to play the team game. I know there's a shelf life on on Lewis retiring in 2024. I'm going to show that I've got got the pace. I am going to build the team uh, uh, around me as hamilton retires but i, I don't know the, the way he's just pushing to be number one beyond what he's actually delivering makes me sad for the for the well wishes of of george russell
3: yeah I, he i mean gosh those comments were pretty savage weren't they yeah. when he said that um but it's a problem for him he says he's faster than lewis but he's not putting the results there yet, because in formula one, it's about more than just raw pace. So he's not complete in the way that Hamilton is in the way that Verstappen is in the way that Alonso is. Maybe you could sort of put signs there, except for he's not maybe quite fast enough. I mean, I mean, I, I feel like with Verstappen, Alonzo and Hamilton, we're talking about three drivers on a very distinct plateau and no one else in the grid is there they might occasionally bounce up there for a race but for the consistency for the completeness of it this is russell's struggle now and he would be smart as you suggest mm-hmm. to simply put Ooh. his head down know in his heart that yes in qualifying i can probably quality. he's there yeah. yeah yeah i i can i've got the raw pace over lewis now and then ask the following question if that's the case Why am I doing worse in the races very regularly right now? And start answering that. That's what he really needs to do.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role,
0: like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort
4: coming in defensive of Russell. And I, I sort of agree. The team is built around Lewis Hamilton. This is mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton's team.
2: Yeah, I mean, Paddy in the live chat has said, to be fair to Russell, with Mick Schumacher in the wings, why try?
4: <laughs> Which... <sighs> it's probably feeling quite safe, yeah.
2: But it it all jokes aside it raises the 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 point that matt was making which is with all of the greats on the grid why try it's like trying you know it would be like me waltzing into the boxing ring and i could try my best to look good but if if connor mcgregor's there you know I, I i've no i don't know why i chose UFC. boxing as an analogy yeah, i know okay. no, i know yeah. nothing about it, it. Shows, do you know what i mean that
4: showed really quickly that was a, paper, that was a ta- paper towel in a water fight. That- if I
2: tried to do a penalty shootout and John Terry was next to me, wow. you know. Yeah,
4: you need to update I, your soccer references also. Gosh, this, I, re- I need whole, to stick to one But my point this this is, there are is dis-
2: there dis- so dis- many greats on the grid right now. Verstappen is a great in the making, arguably already a great. We've got Lewis, we've got Alonso. It's so hard to assert yourself as a good driver amongst these guys. And that's why. I completely agree with Matt. He's just got to get his head down and figure out where his strengths are, how to exploit them and how to build up on where he's lacking.
4: Okay. So uh, we, we come to, to Verstappen and I I struggle when a a driver is in a dominant car to really talk about their performance. So I'm offloading it to, to Christina. Rate Verstappen's race.
1: Like solid seven out of 10. solid. Like he did the job. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Well, Actually, no, he was struggling a little bit on his tires. So I'll give him like an 8, 8.5, because he did manage something that was proving to be a little bit of a challenge, but not a crazy challenge. So, you know, overall good job. But again, he has a car that just does so much, like you said. Mm. It's it's really hard to evaluate him, like so hard.
4: So people who are going to yell at me for being a Perez fan would say, well, Perez shows what a good job that Verstappen is doing. And again, I'm too sad to talk about the ongoing struggles of Sergio Perez. So I'm going to dump that on you as well, Christina.
1: Mm -hmm. Look, I don't know what is going on. I don't know if he changed his schedule, like his morning routine or something, but the way he's struggling in qualifying is absolutely just mind-blowing. Like, it, it, it's a good car. Presumably he hasn't changed anything drastic about his approach to how he sets up, it does his setup, but there's something that's seriously going wrong. And the part that kind of baffles me is that this is a team that's incredibly self-critical. This is a team that is very good at being analytical and not accepting fault and failure. And so as much as part of it is Perez and him, you know, So many, so much of this, especially compared to Verstappen, he's not living up to the potential of that car that we have seen him do. That's the other thing that's disappointing. It's not even in comparison to Verstappen; Mm. it's in comparison to what we've seen him do before. And so that's where the disappointment really comes for me: is that he can do better. Why isn't he? And you know, I do think part of it falls on the team as well because if a driver is struggling and Mm. having the yips for whatever reason. Yes. How do you handle that? How do you attack that? How do you help solve that problem? It's not going to disappear by just hoping for the best.
4: Okay, you said that out loud, and I, I don't think we're supposed to say the Y word out loud. Uh, but look, Christina, like as a Paris fan, I, I'm with you exactly. Like that's the same thing I'm 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 yelling at. It's like I've seen you drive so well. Like I've seen you pull these performances out. I've seen you. Like win a race from the back of the grid in not the fastest mm. car. What that? What on earth is going on? No, no, I'm just a serious question. What on earth is going on? Please, please answer and solve it somehow. <laughs> Fair enough, Matt. <laughs> uh,
3: well, I would, I would, I, I, would like to state that I cannot believe I have been doing this podcast with you so long. I am now finding myself in the position of defending Sergio Perez. Yes, but yet, here I am. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Yeah, go on, uh, go. first of all, kudos to Max, because in the crazy weather and qualifying, he was the one that absolutely got the job done in that car. So if you want to talk about why Max deserves a high driver rating, I just point at quality and say, look, there you go. It's done. Yeah. We can argue about how dominant the Red Bull is now, how close Aston might have been, how much pressure they were under. That's all subjective. Qualifying, that's not. He did the job. Nobody else did. But we can also talk about why that qualifying was a particular challenge for Perez which had to do with the tires and the temperature Perez is a noted tire whisperer which means he makes the tires last a long time which means he's very careful with the slip angles of the tire which makes them last a long time but which means that much less energy goes into the tire meaning it doesn't get as hot as quick and this is where i think red bull strategy kind of dropped the ball with him They didn't put him on slicks at the start. They didn't bring him in at the end of his out lap to put him on slicks like Albon was already on. And the way they made him change tires essentially guaranteed him to have cold tires for all of his attempts in Q2. And despite that, he still got kind of close. It wasn't that bad. And then he had a very good recovery race today. It was hard to pass, even in the best car, especially in traffic. And he, they managed to get him up there and he managed to give them fastest lap of the race when they asked him to, he did the jobs. I don't know that I would count this weekend's performance in with a straight up. yip, In with a straight up miss in with a straight up. Oh, there you are. There's Q3. Oops. I drove off the track and gave up my only chance to get through. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was much more nuanced and complex from his point of view, and I think from the team's point of view as well.
2: Ah, uh, yes. Good old reliable Perez doing the job that he is expected to do as a good number two driver should. He's, in my, in my opinion, shaping up to be the the Valtteri Bottas to to Verstappen's Hamilton. No,
4: don't do that. Why? Why
2: He's going to start eating that? porridge real soon. Mm. You just wait. <laughs> ah,
4: well, at least we get to see some, what, some butt photos in a river, I guess.
2: No, of course, that's the did? most yeah. important component of a yeah. number two driver. Yeah, 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 that was the highlight of Bottas's career, or Botas, as he was career, fondly known. No, no. No. no, I think Perez <laughs> bless him. We've had this conversation before, actually, where we've said, Oh, is he going to is he gonna push for world championships? Because he thinks he can push for a world championship this season. He thinks he can challenge Max. No, I'm sorry. You can't, but you're doing a really great job of supporting his dreams. You that know, was I think there Perez... is
4: possible way you could have said that. I can't I'm <laughs> devastated with how you said that.
2: I just, I have the utmost respect for Checo because he's brilliant, fantastic, good driver, reliable. And oh, we've just had some news in. Christian Horn has revealed that the remains of the bird that Verstappen hit got stuck behind the front right brake duct for the whole race. Right? Ooh. Okay. Goodness. So Verstappen oh. put on that performance with bird body in his, oh. in his grill. That changes the score, yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does a little
4: Hitch,
2: bit. <laughs> it's a ride, anyway. But what? But what I'm saying is, you know, Perez isn't going to get world championships. I think that much is an unfortunate reality. But he's doing a pretty good job of supporting Verstappen and doing all of the things that a number two driver should be doing. Mm. He's the good, reliable, tire whispering, good defender. He checks all of the boxes except the pure carnal need to win fire from hell
3: you know stop stop
4: he's already dead stop (laughs) stop kicking my goodness right speaking of uh you know stop kicking mclaren any mclaren fans on the on the panel to
2: say i mean they they showed real promise at the start of the race. They really, I think they were running P7, P8. Yeah. They just kind of got lost in the DRS train, didn't they? You know, there was, they were pretty un, un, un-anything, really. I mean, Norris had a couple of, rushes with penalties obviously there was the impeding incident but then also the the backing up during the safety car Ah, for unsportsmanlike ah, behavior which ah, i thought was very rogue to be honest that's
4: that's that's a weird one it's a situation we've come across quite a lot with the with the double stack and a driver uh, uh, trying to kind of make sure that he's not penalized by that giving himself enough space behind his teammate christina what what do what Mm. do the regulations tell us about unsportsmanlike behavior that's the vaguest of vague terms
1: well the regulation isn't much clearer it's it's a, a, equally as vague as when we were talking about the unsafe release yeah. it's any infringement of the principles of fairness and competition <laughs> behavior in an unsportsmanlike manner or attempt to influence the result of a competition in a way that is contrary to sporting ethics and i'm sure that there's a whole manual somewhere out there of sporting ethics heck there's probably a university course or something you could take but like i understand if he was backing up the field like extremely significantly and i'd have to go back and yeah. look and see exactly how bad it was because quite frankly i don't remember them giving the mclarens like any screen time up until um norris started complaining about the back wing which
4: yeah that brutal. was t- right at the end. um yeah. oh yeah
1: 50 kph in turn 10 and they're usually what around 80 yeah so then yes that's that's a significant up. yeah i think it like that's
4: where you where you did the backing up so like did you did you like mm-hmm. break early did you just not lift <laughs> matt there's a yeah. lot of matt in fact you and me we've had a lot of discussions with the racing drivers we know with uh with with brad Philpott obviously and alex brundle you know and we've talked about like in a hairpin i think luffield's like a really good example at silverstone like do you if there's a car behind you are you obliged to get on the power at the expected point? And if you don't and someone drives into the back of you, whose fault is that? So yeah, there's a lot of these discussions around sportsmanship, especially when it comes to like a corner exit. But the, the more usual thing people have done in the past is slow down in the pit entrance. And that's yes. been mm-hmm. uh, slammed down on. So, so Norris has taken a different tactic here
3: yeah he has and i think again it's it's just a matter of degree the reason they absolutely nailed his hide to the wall was because they measured a 50 kilometer an hour difference, as christina correctly noted between him and piastri in turn 10 as they were heading down the straight to the pits and that was only in order to give mclaren a big enough gap so they could double stack and not lose a place had he done that in the pit entry, he absolutely would have been penalized for it. I think the stewards looked at it and said, well, if that happened in the pit entry, what would we have done? to have penalized him. So we should penalize him for that, but we don't have a regulation for it in the Formula One sporting regulations. What do we have in the International uh, Sporting Code? Which is the go-to document for all racing drivers and behaviors and infringements and everything else like that. And they said, well, inherently that's unfair. So there you go. I
2: don't know. I really struggle with this one because I don't think it's so black and white. I think... You know, it was a bit harsh to penalise him for this because drivers trying to find creative ways to get around the regulations. Again, I've said this so many times, but at what point do we just say, yeah, it's racing. That's just a strategy that they've employed. Mm. Unethical, yes. But it was during a safety car period, you know, it didn't... It didn't really affect anyone that badly. You know, it just meant that McLaren had yeah. a good good chance to double stack. I mean, See, this is, I, yeah. I completely understand that it is. Yes, it is unsportsmanlike, but uh, it's surely all defending is unsportsmanlike because you want the best for your team. But, but I, I like that kind
4: of gamesmanship. So as much as everything that happened in Abu Dhabi 2021 stabs me in the heart and I hate it and we should burn everything about it. Like I like the fact that all through twenty twenty one, Red Bull deployed all the resources they had available. So they deployed Perez because they had him available. I don't agree that they should have like a whole second team available unless Mercedes also had that. In which case, fair game. Like if Mercedes wanted to like deploy Williams drivers in the same way that Red Bull deployed Alpha Tower Tau- Tower drivers. Like I, I love all that sporting element, all that strategy element. So there comes a point, Matt, where we just go, yeah, you know what? Let let drivers game the system. Let them use every bit of the rules. Let them defend.
3: And I would say that if it was a five or a ten mile an hour discrepancy, he probably would have gotten away with
4: it. Okay, but But he all but stopped. Fifty
3: kph under a safety car. Uh, how do you not take that seriously as as a safety issue? If nothing else, would be my response. Maybe maybe drivers could be more germane to that. They could they could be like, oh no no fifty kph. You might see that variant, but I would guess most drivers are expecting to be going more or less exactly the same speed through there, and that's a pretty that's a big enough difference to make me go, eh? Maybe yeah. maybe maybe contextually it it was more dangerous than we know, and so. So fair enough, although it wasn't strictly against the letter of the F1 sporting codes, per se.
4: We're getting towards the end of our Canadian Grand Prix race review. Only the awards remain. If you've got this far, you might think we're doing a terribly good job. And if you'd like to buy Matt a pint or me a coffee, you know me, I don't touch the wicked stuff. You can go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar if you'd like to go. Hey, you guys are doing a great job. If you'd like to become a patron, well, then the world opens up. You can get an ad-free feed at the $1.99 tier. That's 30 cents an episode on average. Or you can join our $5 tier and you can join our Slack forum, a forum that will never black out because we own the forum, so we don't need to protest against anything. So patreon.com forward slash Miss Apex. Join the Miss Apex community and help us be an independent podcast that is unsellable it would be impossible to sell missed apex podcast because no one could make uh, you know more resources out of this franchise can we be a franchise matt <gasps> matt can we be a franchise
3: i like the yeah, idea yeah, 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 oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. let's call it that no one can make more out of this franchise than than we are able to to generate in the form of resources from our patrons so patreon.com forward slash missed apex help us keep doing what we're doing let's go on to the awards It's the podium of the Canadian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen takes a a victory that looks comfortable, but may not have been so comfortable. Could it be foreboding of a, a title challenge to come? Let's all keep that hope injected into our veins that we'll have some fights for P1. The most fascinating fight out there, however, has to be Lewis Hamilton versus Fernando Alonso. Over the next six or seven races, Who can keep that going? Fernando Alonso has had the car advantage going forward, and he's certainly the number one driver for Aston Martin. Mercedes now listening to James Allison. He sounds like a a kid literally just unwrapping LOL dolls, layer after layer. So he's just like pulling off layers going, oh, now the doll's got a new booty, (gasps) new sunglasses for my LOL dolls. And he is just every single race saying, wow, you know we're going to bring more stuff, more stuff, and they just seem to have this package going together. So Lewis Hamilton versus Fernando Alonso, I think, is going to be one of the, the biggest, most exciting battles to look forward to for the remainder of 2023. But our panel here is now going to cast judgment over the Canadian Grand Prix of 2023. And we've got a couple of awards, a good thing award and a bad thing award. So let's start with the thing of the weekend. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the panel. You've enjoyed listening to today. We've got Antonia Rankin, who is annoyingly just, you're just, you're everywhere. You're infusing yourself into the F1 culture. And I hate to say it, you did very well on the podcast that dare not speak its name. It it is a betrayal, but it was wonderful to see you on such a big platform.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's been a bit crazy recently. Mm. But I mean, I'll never forget my roots. Mr. Apex yeah. runs through my blood.
4: Yeah, we're literally the best one. So oh, yeah. never Which forget my that. My
2: favourite. <laughs> follow
4: uh, Antonia, F1 Antonia on TikTok. Yeah. I remembered it. Well done. Um, got something like 60,000 follows on there. It's absolutely nuts. They're, they're fun. They're informative. Anytime your TikToks appear on my feed, they're great. So go and follow Antonia. The links will be in the show notes below. And also on Twitter, F1 Antonia there also.
2: Uh, Antonia J. Rankin. Why? I should change that, shouldn't yes. I? It's like life easier.
4: Yeah, no one cares yeah. about the J. Good. I'll get on that. But moving on, what was your thing of the weekend this weekend?
2: I'm going to give it to Lando Norris for absolutely blasting it until the end. He yes. He really put his his everything into battling until the last literally the last lap and it's really nice to see to be honest every place matters every single millisecond i guess for him especially this weekend matters and the fighting spirit that he has i think is what makes him such a fantastic driver so full creds for that he
4: tried his heart out to get the stewards to disqualify the car in front and then in maybe not that
2: bit (laughs) in the end
4: he resorted to trying to overtake him. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, okay, so Norris gets Antonia's vote. Uh, Christina, uh, also very active on TikTok. You do a lot of, like, explainer-type videos. I think, like, people who are, are newer to the sport, I think, like, would benefit to you just giving everything in a very, dare I say, a journalistic style.
1: I've, I've been told that, yes.
4: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and where can we find you on TikTok? What should we search?
1: Christina.fastcars.
4: Oh yeah, these cars are are pretty fast. Go and click in the show notes below. So, from this Canadian Grand Prix, who is the thing of the weekend, or what is the thing of the weekend, or when was the thing of the weekend for you?
1: I'm actually going to give it to George Russell when what? he got snuck in. He snuck in the double overtake on. De Vries, oh, that was good. And yeah. <laughs> I want to say Magnussen. <laughs> that was, that was quite they good. Were, yes,
4: they were. They were you know, yeah. getting
1: all tied up with each other and not really paying attention, and they let a heavy hitter through.
4: Uh, that was you you have just invo- stupid move on their part. Yeah, good
1: you, moment of opportunity for him.
4: And you've just invoked this this segment. Whose fault is I it? I can't believe we haven't had one yet. It was actually such a well behaved race that we didn't have a, a whose fault is it. So, I oh, firstly I'm disappointed that there wasn't a there goes Russell because it was very reminiscent, wasn't it, of the Lewis Hamilton 2022 Silverstone where Perez was battling with Leclerc into the Vale chicane and Lewis Hamilton managed to dive his way through. And that almost now, I think, iconic commentary of there goes Hamilton. It was a very similar move uh, from, mm-hmm. from George Russell, but that, that led to further incidents between De Vries and Magnussen. Who's got a take on whose fault it was between De Vries and Magnussen? Antonia?
2: This links into my you missed the apex award because I think Nick Devries versus Magnuson there was just shocking. <laughs>
4: it's it was fast.
2: awful, and I'm aware he locked up. There wasn't a lot he could do, and then Magnuson, being on the outside, had nowhere to go. Or he overbraked, or, you know. Mm. But it was just really bad racing from him. And I know De Vries to be better. You know, he's the Formula E champion. He's a good driver. But it was just, for me, there was really poor racecraft shown from him. Definitely his fault. And just not a good, clean battle. Not a good battle full stop, to be honest. No,
4: it, it was scrappy. And actually, Matt, I think you'll have some insight in this. Like, De Vries has been struggling on the brakes. And again, it's in the braking zones where he seems to look... Uh, the least comfortable.
3: Yeah. Well, Canada is <coughs> a particularly difficult track for brakes and braking. So I'm not really surprised by that. Alpha Towery has uh, been, well, they haven't been the greatest of manufacturers this season. So he doesn't have a particularly great platform to work with. And, you know, look, the mistake that took them both up the escape road, fair enough. He was on the inside, it was dusty, he locked up. I'm a bit surprised, actually, that Magnuson hadn't already slowed down and was aiming for a cutback. Looking at Deriez' positioning, yeah. but it was really the previous corner that seemed kind of clunky to me. And I know we sort of argue on on corner exit, but it, it seemed like he was not leaving Magnuson enough room on corner exit that sort of led to this in turn one. Yeah. Thing.
4: yeah, 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 yeah. In turn one. He definitely like he pushed him all the way out, Magnussen. and I think like Magnusson actually was quite compliant. So he went all the way off to the point that it wasn't disaster. But if he'd have held his ground, if Magnuson had kept all four wheels on the track, which I think he's entitled to do, I, I think that ends up being quite that ends up being quite a bad that ends up being quite a bad crash.
3: Yeah, and so I mean, to me, that fundamentally means it's De Vries' fault. For the whole thing, because mm. I, I think, frankly, if he kept a tighter line, he did just uh, Magnuson had more or less given up on that. The only reason DeVries was still passing is because he spent they had contact and he spent so much time shoving him to the outside of the track instead of just like getting on with taking a clean line mm. and, and getting on with getting past him.
4: OK, so a diversion there by Christina, but you're sticking with Russell thing of the weekend.
3: Oh, absolutely. Sticking that was that.
1: OK. I'm sticking with it. It okay. was a lovely move. It was well-timed. Oh, okay. It was just nicely
4: done. if you're wrong about that. What else are you wrong about? I don't know if we can trust any of the regulation stuff you've said now. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. That's your thing of the weekend, Matt. two rumpets. You are at MattPT55 on Twitter. Yep. You're often wrong about stuff on Twitter as well. Follow Matt just to argue with him. He honestly, he loves it. He absolutely, yeah, it,
3: it, it entertains mm. me for hours on end. Yeah. I love nothing better than arguing with people on Twitter, as long as we're having a conversation and it's not just shouting.
4: No, we uh, resort to personal insults immediately. That is the way to match on heart But the the way to the best thing of the weekend is to ask you directly, Matt. What was your thing of the weekend?
3: Well. This is hard, because what I really want to say is it's got to be Alex Alba and 58 laps on the hard tires, staying in P7. But I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. It's the people who chose to not come in during the safety car that yes. made this race so yeah. absolutely interesting. I so how. I will give it to them with their strong nod to the Williams Strategy Department for getting the slicks right in quality and then getting mm. the safety car call also right.
4: This is a, a broader thing. I, I hope this doesn't go too too deep, but I, I wonder, like, could Alonso, could Hamilton have done better by staying out during the safety car? Ocon. Ocon.
3: I was convinced plan A was go to the end, but what they saw, they were tricked by Lance Stroll's times, but Lance Stroll's times were in clean air. So they saw how fast the fresh tire was in clean air. They put it on, and then it just wasn't that fast in traffic. That's what happened.
4: All right. Okay and the other thing well, I was trying to think of another strategy thing uh Lewis Hamilton triggered yeah. the second stop quite early because the hards weren't working for him I wonder could they have gone to mediums earlier and kind of shaken things up a bit more
3: um it would have been you would have had to look at the pit window behind him
4: ah good point he would
3: have, yeah. he would have wanted to come out on those mediums ahead of uh, Leclerc finished behind him so it would have it was really Down to, you can see, actually, I'm looking at the pit stop summary right now because, you know, that's my kind of life. And I can see Leclerc, uh, Signs was in, Perez was in 37, Signs 38, Mm. Leclerc 39, Hamilton 40, Alonso 41, Max 42. So as that pit stop gap appeared, they pitted, but they couldn't do it until the gap behind them was there. Otherwise, they were stuck behind slower cars.
4: Ask me what my thing of the weekend was so it's...
3: I, I, You know, I'm really curious. Really? I tried to steal all of the really okay. good things. I mean, I've got Williams, about? I've got Albin, oh, okay. I've got... Yeah, you Pence, said lots of the, stuff. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Things car things. Yeah. Like, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? What's left?
4: Yeah, what? what Could your thing of the week? My thing? Oh, oh, thanks yeah. for asking. Okay, so my thing of the weekend is Lewis Hamilton and the way that he was able to manage his tire stints... I think we saw Lewis Hamilton doing what Lewis Hamilton does best, which is, yeah, not going out there and thrashing his tyres, going out there, managing stints, and actually kind of delivering. And if you look at the medium tyre stint at the end, there was real potential. Had they had more time on the medium and less time on the hards, he could have gone and taken the fight to Fernando Alonso, and I would have loved to have seen that. At one point, they did get within 1.4 seconds, I think Hamilton got within Fernando Alonso, which kind of made them panic and shake them out of their, their fuel saving. But, but going forward with this package on non-street circuit tracks, I think Lewis Hamilton is going to be a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> Okay, so that's all the the good thing. And I like the good thing award, the thing of the weekend, because we get to be super positive, lovely people. Now, let's get into the worst of the mud slinking armchair strategist and driver stuff as we ask, who missed the apex? Oh,
1: no, you missed the apex.
4: All right, Antonia, I know it's beyond you normally to get super negative, but who missed the apex for you?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to give an honourable mention or dishonourable mention, I suppose, in this case to Nick DeVries. Um, just not the standard of racing I would expect from a driver of his calibre, the standard of defending you would expect yeah. from an F1 driver, generally disappointing battles from his side. um, But primarily, I would like to give my missed Apex award to the single piece of commentary from Crofty, wherein he he said the old switcheroo and i i think i threw up in my mouth a little bit oh no that's super
4: harsh mate commentary's so hard though because you just run out of things to say so quickly
2: and he is you know crofty's the guy i grew up listening to with all of that's this, so
4: interesting about. yeah but yeah
2: that's that single line big no from me sorry chief
4: uh David Croft is undoubtedly the voice of F1 for a generation. He does it week in, week out, sure. and you do very quickly run out of, of things to say. So recently, I was putting together a show reel, and I remember I did two full seasons of commentary, and uh, and I was paid to do it. And I looked, I went back to find a clip, and I couldn't find a single clip I was proud of because I was terrible at commentary. Commentary is so hard. But well, there you go. Rankin dropping the bomb on David Croft there. Uh, Christina, who missed the apex for you?
1: For me, it's that barrier and the camera angle.
4: <laughs> it's going down
1: the main straight into turn one, yeah. I don't know who allowed that camera to be set up that way. I don't know how, with three practice sessions and qualifying, they still kept that camera there for the race and how they kept using it. It would follow camera. It would follow the cars down the main straight and then keep following them when they disappeared underneath behind this little wall just cut to another camera angle you have hundreds of cameras on this track just make the switch earlier i don't need to see for like a good two seconds just the little camera mounts bobbing up and down (laughs) that's not necessary for my enjoyment of this race
4: a lot of people were criticizing the the broadcast and it is hard to keep track of stuff but it just it just felt like you go this is montreal we've seen better camera angles in the past we've seen this race come to life better in the past. Exactly. All right, Matt Trumpets, I know you can barely say a crossed word ever. You're just not that kind of guy unless... Uh, me, clouds yell never. Okay, but, you know, given that you're old and cranky, could you try? Could you try and find something negative? Who missed the apex for you?
3: I'm really frustrated because I had mine all lined up and it was guaranteed to enrage everybody. Yeah. But then you've mentioned the TV and that made me think about the CCTV issue in free practice 1 also possibly being a missed apex cuz like if I'm in the FIA how do I not have a backup worked out with <laughs> oh, gosh, cameras yeah. to every single mm. race but I'm going to take a deep breath <laughs> count to 10 backwards and I'm going to tell you who really missed the apex in this race Orlando Norris why do you recall no Norris being behind Piastri yes And then dive bombing him into turn 10 with a five second penalty hanging off of his rear wing. And that wound up putting McLaren, I believe, entirely out of the points because otherwise it would have been Piastri up there chasing Alcon and finishing either in ninth or if Stroll managed to get past Bottas and Piastri, 10th. So, yeah, I'm going to say that Norris's selfish behavior trying to get ahead of his five-second penalty and still be in the points, cost his team their only shot this weekend after he was penalized for his unsportsmanlike behavior.
4: And I'm going to give my Missed Apex Award. Wow, no one picked Ferrari's strategy team. Oh, my God. So, like, they got the broad race strategy correct. But for Saturday alone, obviously, they have to get the Missed Apex Award. Carlos Sainz uh, blocking Ocon in the most dangerous way possible at the end of a fast lap. Uh, Having, actually, if you look at Sainz's qualifying lap, they had him in traffic and they had him in terrible situations nearly entirely through Saturday match. If you actually were were keeping an eye on Sainz, he was the victim much more than he was the, the, the perpetrator. And, of course, Ferrari completely blowing it on uh, on on getting leclerc kicked out in q2 so yeah thank you to everyone for not picking ferrari ahead of me
3: you're welcome and i, I think it was gasly but yeah they were shocking on saturday oh, and sorry superb gasly, on yeah. sunday mm. and just like i don't know I, I i went with the broken clock thing but superb. i guess they we'll were
4: they were normal on on sunday Thank you very much for joining me for this Canadian Grand Prix race review. Click in your show notes below. Uh, If you are an audio listener, go and check out the video just to see what all our ugly mugs look like. And if you're on the, the video side, if you're a YouTube subscriber, click like and subscribe. Click on the bell so you get a notification when we go live. And also, just download us on your podcast app so we're there in case you need us for your Monday morning commute. Follow my panel. Follow... Antonia J. Rankin. Follow Christina Mace, whose surname is a weapon. Follow Matt PT55. And of course, follow me, Richard Reddy. Follow Spanners. I'm the best one. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs> Comment of the week. I don't know why the sound isn't happening on that mat, but I, I, I think I actually sung that as well as my wife sings it. So I think no one will notice the difference. Shall I do well, it? Shall I do it again?
3: Uh, you sound exactly like your wife.
4: I have to do it more of a Cockney, don't I?
3: Comment of the week.
4: In it. And now that was like no one will know that wasn't Nick. So that we're we're good there, right? Given that I will never
3: be welcome in your home again. Given that it's 10 <laughs> past that. <laughs>
4: midnight in the UK, please keep it to a few nominations for comment of the week. Christina, are you still with us? Be our judge. Yeah. You pick comment of the week. You're the judge. Go. Here we go.
3: Okay. All right. We're going to start with Mia F1. Leclerc should have signs on his pit wall and vice versa.
4: Oh, just, just like, yeah, they only drive, like just have either Leclerc or signs. And swap them and then make Xavi drive the car.
3: That that sounds like a plan.
4: I don't see. Uh, I I genuinely don't see how that could be worse. So that's fine.
3: uh, Patty is in with turning Ferrari around is going to be like when you have to talk a parent through how to fix their computer over the phone. Oh, my God. It is like that. And I've had to do that so
4: much. No, mom. Like, no, the mouse is the no, it's not. No, you don't have to type L-O-A-D anymore. Like, no, there's no there's no cassette anymore. It's
3: fine. I, I don't want to double down, but he added, quote, it says Windows 3.1 has updates, but I've been ignoring it.
4: 3.1 was <laughs> was the best version, to be fair. Minesweeper, that was the peak. Uh,
3: Martin Winance is in with Aston ditched the Merck philosophy before Merck themselves.
4: Yeah, maybe, yeah, they
3: copied Red Bull. That's maybe what, what, what Mercedes should do. Uh, Maybe indeed. And finally, we'll end with Connie Stewart, who said Lando is so frustrated. He wishes he signed a long term contract with Ferrari. He looked so happy, didn't he? He looked so
4: happy when he signed that long term deal. Him and Leclerc signing on the paper. They looked amazing. Right. Is that all the candidates? That's all the candidates. Christina, who wins comment of the week?
1: I have to give it to the computer one.
3: That would be Patty for turning Ferrari yeah. around is going to be like when you have to talk a parent through how to fix their computer over the phone. Well am Paddy.
4: Oh, it's not, it's not playing. Comment of the week. That actually, that goes out literally on the YouTube and to the patrons. So I hope you appreciate that. We are out of here. See you guys.